Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together. On this 4th of July weekend, we thank you for a nation that grants us the freedom to gather like this together um, in peace and, 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 um, and safety and to study your word. And we pray um, that the Holy Spirit opens the word, that you, you open what you would have us learn through me and that the, um, the folks in the congregation have open hearts and open minds so that this is a space for you to work. We pray that you work in our hearts um, so that we can learn more about you and, and become better servants of you in the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to start this morning by doing something that's a little off of the usual formula. It's a little unorthodox. And I figure I'm, I'm the new guy doing this, so I can get away with doing stuff like this maybe at, at least once. It's not that far off. But what I wanted to do to start out today doing is uh, to, to actually revisit. This is my second time preaching up here, and I wanted to revisit for just a brief moment the first time I was up here and the first message that I taught. And if you guys recall, this was about six months ago. It was a message from Thessalonians, and it was about being a witness in your workplace. Now, the, the substance of the message isn't important. That's, that's not why I'm bringing it up. Um, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because I wanted to, to pause for just a second and use that as a frame, as a, as a lens through which to think about what we're all doing in here right now. Right? And, and I'll start by thinking about, you know, or, or telling you that when I was preparing for that message and, and even in giving it, you guys may re- remember I got emotional, I was really convicted by that message. I was really convicted by the preparation for it. And in fact, um, and, and I'm grateful to everyone, but a lot of people came up to me afterwards and said that they were convicted as well, and that was exactly what they needed to hear, and the Holy Spirit was working. And so I got really excited about all of that. And of course, I appreciate you know, that, that feedback, but I was really excited, and I was really grateful to the Holy Spirit, of course, but also felt really good about the message and, and, and was excited. And then that's when I like, had to stop myself, Right? And, and, and maybe it wasn't me stopping myself. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit, like, grabbing me by the scruff of the neck. You know how that happens sometimes? It's like, wait, wait, stop. And, and I think what happened is God was telling me, Jr., that's not the point of the time that you have together on, during, during the message, right? And, and I stopped and I thought about, what is, the, what is God's purpose in us being here together right now? And it's, and it's not... As I understand it, it's not for me to educate you. It's, it's not for me to, to, certainly not for me to entertain you. It's not even for me to convict you or, or, or to challenge you. Um, the, the purpose that God has for our time here together, as I understand it, is to change our lives. Right? It's, it's for the Holy Spirit to work through me and through his inspired word and, and to work through your open hearts and open minds that are open to the Holy Spirit working within you to change something you do, to change something you're, some action you're taking in the world, you're doing more of something or less or something or something different or thinking about something differently so that somehow you're a better servant of Christ in the world. That's the point of all of this, right? And so with that in mind, I want to stop for a second and just ask all of us, and myself included, to the extent you were convicted by that message, it was six months ago, what have we done differently? Have we? And not just my message. There's nothing special about my message. That's just the one I happen to give, so I'm using it as an example. But another message, a message that Dan has given about being a witness to, to the unsaved around you. If you were convicted by that, has that changed your heart? Has that changed your action? Or one of John's messages about how the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and, and, and the depths of the human soul and psyche and the brilliant things that he does, to the extent that changed your heart or, or convicted you, what have we done? Right? 
think that mindset is so critical, and that's why I just wanted to pause for a second. I'm not telling my interesting anecdote to, to get us all started. I wanted to start this way because I think it's so critical for us to be focused that way. And, and, and I just wanted to orient us that way before I got started. And in fact, I think we can put an even finer point on this idea in this series that we're doing right now. We're, we're going through the, the epistle of Timothy, and the theme that, that, that we're focused on right now is, I was thinking of it as fight the good fight, but I see up here it's actually fight in faith. Right? And, and if, we think about, if we think about the fact that we're at war out there, right? that's our theme, we're at war out there, and if you have any doubt about that, just think back to your experience. And, and Scripture tells us that explicitly, that we are at war out there. If we're at war out there, that makes this right here, this church, this sanctuary, our fob. That makes it, I, I was in the Marine Corps, that makes it our forward operating base. This is this little bastion of safety and security amidst the enemy's battle space, where we can rest and refit and get equipped to go back out into the fight on Monday morning where it's once more into the breach, dear friends. That's what this space is, right? And when you think about church that way, again, you know, a message like this, this time we're spending together, isn't just about, you know, being entertained or learning. We're getting our marching orders from the Holy Spirit to go out there and get back in the fight. Our Sunday school is about learning tactics and doctrine to help us survive out there. Our small groups, our little home groups, that's small unit leadership in practice, right? Or our one-on-one discipleships, right? It's small unit leadership in practice so that the next time that we're out on the offensive out there, we can be successful or that we can survive the next time we're in the defense, which is kind of what we're going to talk about today, right? Thinking about church this way actually reminds me of when I was in the Marine Corps in, in basic training, and time frame when I was doing that, the, the United States was in the war in Afghanistan, and I was going through basic training, and they constantly drilled it into our heads that there were Marines in combat right then as we were training, right? We were in Quantico, Virginia, right? But, but for example, you know, a Marine falls asleep during this, you know, endless class. We'd had no sleep, no sleep the night before. A Marine falls asleep in the middle of an endless class, what you hear is, hey, Marine, wake up. There are Marines dying in Afghanistan right now, and you can't even be bothered to, to stay awake during class. And then they would say, go to the corner, take a knee, and punch yourself in the face. That's just how Marines talk to each other. <laughs> but you get the point, right? They drilled it into our heads that, that we were preparing, the things we were learning were, were, were preparing us for combat. And the minute that we dro- stepped out of the wire, we would be in a fight. And I'm so glad that they did that because less than a year from then, I was in Marja in Afghanistan, and, and, and it was part of Operation Mashtarak. It was some of the most bloody combat that the U.S. forces saw in Afghanistan. And if I hadn't had that mindset when I was going through my training, I wouldn't have learned what I needed to learn to survive. That's the mindset we need to have when we're, when we're in church, right? Is, is that we're learning the things that are going to equip us to go out there the minute we step out of the wire. And guess what? You're going to step out of the wire when you step out of these doors here on your way to the car. And you're going to be in the fight. And so thinking about it that way, we can, we can actually talk about you know, these different battle spaces. You know, I talked about the battle space of our workplace, right? And so we have our marching orders in the battle space of the workplace. And, and Dan, uh, last week in Timothy chapter 3, talked about you know, sort of the battle space, or, or two weeks ago, it was Father's Day, and he talked about the battle space of fatherhood, right? If you don't think that's a battle, you're not a, a father. The battle space of fatherhood, and he was talking about staying on track, Right about staying on the right track, and, and, and it was, he was talking about in fatherhood, but this is applicable across all these different battle spaces that we're in, about staying on track. And the way we were talking about it from Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, was we were talking about the, the truth. Remember the mystery of faith that Dan talked about, and it's this core doctrine about Jesus, right? That Jesus was revealed in the flesh, 
that, that he was uh, vindicated in the Spirit, that he was proclaimed to the nations, that, that he was believed on in the world, and that, that he was uh, oh, received in glory, or taken in glory, right? And so it's this core doctrine about Jesus Christ that understanding the truth of that doctrine keeps us on, on track, right? And on, on all these different battle spaces, like having that, that in mind. And actually what we're going to talk about today as we transition into, into 1 Timothy chapter 4 is what are the things that can take us off that track, right? And keeping to that theme of, of war in the battle space and, and, and fighting the good fight, Paul is specifically warning Timothy that there's an enemy out there and one of his favorite tactics is military deception, okay? So let's go to the scripture and we can see exactly what we're talking about here. And we'll turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll be in uh, verses, I'll just read um, verses 1 through 4. And so Paul is telling Timothy, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving, by those who believe and know the truth. So I think what we can say for certain from this scriptural reading is that Paul's talking to Timothy about people falling away from the faith, about apostasy, and that it's driven by deceit from Satan. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's pretty clear. That's like a safe place to start. But you can see there's a lot going on in just a couple of verses here, and, and a lot of it's sort of ambiguous. So I think we have to be pretty careful about the way we unpack it. And I think that a good way to organize our thinking and, and work our way through it would be the good old-fashioned five W's. You guys remember this from grade school? The who, what, when, where, why? I, I had to count them. I would have forgotten if I hadn't done that. Who, what, when, where, why? And, um, and, and we, can, we can start by thinking about the when. Right? If you go back to, the, to uh, verse 1, Paul says, in latter times. And you know, I talk about ambiguity. It's not obvious what that means, is it? And so, you know, it, it, there's three things I think that it could mean. The first thing it could mean is he's talking specifically to Timothy in Ephesus. Timothy, going forward in latter times from when I write this, this epistle to you, this letter to you, going forward in the church in Ephesus, here's some things to look out for. That makes sense in context that that's what he's talking about, right? Another thing he could be talking about is, is what you sometimes hear referred to as the, the great apostasy. And Paul talks about this again in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, it's it's a, a great falling away from the church that happens towards the end times, and, and it's, it's church members following the Antichrist, who John talks about uh, and, and identifies explicitly in 1 John. So there's this idea of this great apostasy that happens. I don't, I don't want to get into the end times. We'll leave that to a, a, one of Dan's messages. But, but there's this idea of a great apostasy that he could potentially be talking about here. The third thing that he could be talking about is just the, the church age writ large. So from the time I'm writing this letter, the latter times are the church history until Jesus comes back. Okay? And so those are the three things that it could mean. And if you asked me, you know, okay, which of those three is Paul talking about here? My answer would probably be, yeah. Um, I, it could be talking about any of them. And, and in any case, for our purposes here, it, it sort of doesn't matter. He's warning Timothy about... A, he's warning Timothy about the deceit of, the, of Satan and, and how the, Satan uses deceit as a tool, and that's true in, in any time. And you could apply it during, in all those other contexts, but for our purposes here, we can say that's true now too. Right? And it's sort of the same thing if you think about the, the who. 
Now he's in verse one still. Paul says some people will fall away from the faith, and there's a lot of debate out there about who those those some people are. Who are those some people? Right? Are they are they true believers? And what does it mean for a true believer, someone who's saved, to fall away from the faith? You can see how that could have implications for that whole debate about whether or not you can lose your salvation. And if, if they aren't true believers, what does it mean to fall away from the faith if they're not true believers? And so you could see this has like broad doctrinal implications. And it could even be sort of a barbed wire topic answering this who question. And a lot of preachers are sort of like scared of, of, of approaching a controversial topic and they, they won't approach it at all. But I'm not going to do that. When I come up against a, a really controversial topic, you and I are going to look it right square in the face and then I'm just going to like, sidestep it. <laughs> and that's what I'm going to do here. Again, it, it sort of doesn't matter. You know, we're just going to sidestep it because, look, it, what Paul's talking about, you know, this is, if you're focused on these, these details, and, and as Christians, it's good for us to know there's a debate out there, but we have to see this in context. And this is, this is a, a practical writing. This is a pastoral epistle from Paul to Timothy telling him how to run his church, which is in trouble. Right? I think if we focus on these details, we can miss the point that I want to focus on today. And the point is that Satan uses ta- you know, deceitful tactics against believers or potential believers, and that's true, essentially, for everyone in this room, whatever category you fall into. Right? So again, that debate exists, and we should be aware of it, but it doesn't really matter for our purposes today, so I'm just going to sidestep it. So that's, that's when, who, I'm going out of order, but, but, but we can talk about why, too, and, and Paul talks about how these believers are going to, it's sort of implied what the why is, that they're going to they're they're fall away from the faith. And so we have to think a little bit about what the faith is here. And, and you know, the faith is, is, is essentially, you know, it, it's, our, it's our doctrine, it's our core doctrine of beliefs. And to go back to what Dan was talking about last week from chapter 3, we have this sort of doctrinal, almost a doctrinal statement about who and what Jesus was. And Dan even talked about, when he was talking about that truth, he was saying how, and I think he quoted from from Romans chapter 1, that understanding and cleaving closely to that truth leads you to, I think the phrase he used from Romans is the obedience of faith. right? And so what we see here is the truth that leads to the obedience of faith and that's in chapter 3, and then you, you, you hit chapter 4, and Paul's saying, well, if this truth is distorted by the doctrine of demons, then you fall away from the faith, right? So you don't, you're not walking that path of obedience in the faith. And that's sort of how you link chapter 3 and chapter 4, but it's also, I think, how you can understand what the intent of the doctrine of demons is to take us away from Christ and away from that obedience of faith by distorting that truth. Does that make sense? And so that, that, there you have the why, and then that leads us to... Do you guys remember which one's left? The what. And that's where things get really interesting here, is the what. It's like, what is this doctrine of demons? What does this apostasy, what does this apostasy look like that Paul's talking about? And again, we can go right to the scripture to dissect it and see exactly what that is. And the first thing that we see there is, you know, the deceiving spirits and the, and the doctrine of demons, this discussion of deceiving, or the reference to deceiving spirits and the doctrine of demons. And I think that's pretty straightforward. If we're in a war and we have an enemy, and the enemy is the father of lies, our deceiving spirits are, is the enemy telling lies, essentially. And then what the doctrine of demons are the lies that he's telling. It's this, it's this doctrine that he's building up out of lies that is counter to the actual truth that we've talked about in chapter 3, the actual truth of Scripture. So there's your deceiving spirits and your doctrine of demons. And then Paul talks about, and, and this gets a little more interesting, a little more complicated, he talks about how 
giving heed to the, the doctrine of demons leads these people to telling lies and hypocrisy. Right? And so I think it's important to understand there's sort of like two things going on in that statement. You have telling lies and you have telling lies and hypocrisy. You tell lies of these people who are speaking lies. They're saying things that are objectively untrue. Like that's one aspect of it. Right? And the other aspect of it is they're doing this in hypocrisy. And we know that hypocrisy means it's sort of be like two-faced. Right? It's, it's sort of it's like being an actor, hypocrisy, right? And so essentially the, the implication here is that these people are telling things that are untrue, and they know hypocritically that they're untrue as they're saying them. And we'll put a finer point on that, because who's the person you, you lie to the most, probably? You lie to yourself the most, right? We're going to put a finer point on exactly what this means in context, but I wanted to get that, that concept out of what speaking lies and hypocrisy would mean and look like. And then finally, you see that their consciousness are, are seared as with a hot iron. Okay, this is really powerful imagery, but I, I think that it's pretty straightforward what it means. And they're, they're, they've, they've given heed to these doctrines of demons, and they're speaking lies and hypocrisy. And, you know, at, at first, maybe departure from truth is painful, right? But over time, that wound from, from separation from Christ and that department, departure from the truth and living in accordance with the lie, uh, you get used to it, right? That wound cauterizes, that, that wound calluses, and it doesn't hurt as much as it did, or it may even never, it may get to a point where it doesn't hurt as much, or it doesn't hurt at all. And as we see elsewhere in Scripture, God says, talks about people who have believed lies to the point where God has given them over to the lies, and I think that's sort of uh, the idea of what, of what Paul is talking about here. And so now we have this picture of what the apostasy looks like. We have this picture of people who have, at one point in some way, were faithful, and then they've given heed or paid attention to these doctrines of demons. They believed these lies. They propagated these lies, and their consciousness is seared to the point where, where potentially it doesn't even hurt anymore. So now we have this picture of the apostasy that, that Paul is warning about. It's a scary picture, right? I think it's intended to be. Um, and, and here in this church, you know, we have, we have this like, wonderful Bible-believing church that's grounded in the Word. I think it would be really tempting for us to sort of look at a scripture like this and, and just take it at face value and, and sort of say, well, you know, what he's talking about is Artemis worship there. And what he's talking about now maybe is, you know, Mormonism or this prosperity gospel and we'd sort of like smugly scoff and, and thank God that we don't have a church that believes those things and we're grounded in the faith. And then we would sort of check our box on the scripture and move on with our lives, right? We'd go to the next day of the one-year Bible and not really think that much more about it. I think it would be really tempting for us to, to do that because we are a, a really you know, grounded in, in, in the word. And, and a lot of these doctors aren't as tempting to us like, like Mormonism. I mean, how would that play out? Right? A guy comes here for a couple of weeks, and, and, and he pulls Dan, or I was going to use Fred here, but he's not, he's not here. He pulls Dan to the side, and he's like, let me tell you about this guy, Joseph Smith. Right? I mean, that's the founder of Mormonism. I mean, how would that play out? It's, I mean, that's not, we're talking about we're in war here, and the enemy is, is the father of lies. He's subtle, and he's powerful. He's been practicing deceit since the beginning of time. That's not, that's not the deception he's going to use here. And we can't use, you know, those, those big doctrines that are, that are obviously deceptive as a way to just sort of sidestep the hard things that maybe we should be thinking about, right? And Paul actually gives us clues that, that, that that's what he means here because he actually gives us examples of what he's talking about. You know, he talks about... I'll read the, quote the scripture. He talks about them, excuse me, he talks about them forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to receive the same, with thanksgiving. So they're commanding people to abstain from foods and, and not marry. 
And uh, there's, again, there's a little bit of debate over exactly what Paul is talking about here. I think the dominant theory is that probably some sort of hardcore Jewish legalism had crept into this church, and some of these dietary restrictions were, were being talked about and, and taught in the church as a way to, to achieve righteousness, as you would have thought about that potentially in the, in the Old Testament. There's also some, some people who think their Gnosticism was popular at that time, which is sort of like a, a, you know, a twisted version of Christianity, and, and they thought that the material world was corrupted, and so if you don't eat, then you know, you're not taking in that corruption, and so maybe that was something that was going on. But again, the point is it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter which of those are true, because the, the broad point is that people were inventing this doctrine in which they could, they were, they were, they were creating a way in which they could achieve righteousness. Right? They were, they were creating this self righteousness doctrine. Look at me, I'm not eating these certain foods. That was, that was judgmental. Look at you, I can't believe you eat those foods. And they were adhering to this doctrine instead of the core gospel, instead of that core truth that we talk about in chapter three. And you could see how this would take people away from Christ because it takes them away from the gospel, and you could see how that could be divisive in a church. And that's why Paul is, I think Paul is using such, such, such powerful language, doctrines of demons and consciousness seared with hot iron. When he's talking about not eating certain foods, there seems to be a mismatch, but there's really not. It's really, really devastating to a church when legalism or something like that creeps its way in. Right? And so now we have this example. We have, you know, we have an idea of what the... the uh, the apostasy looks like. We have an example of it, that it's, it's not something necessarily big like Mormonism or you know, a, you know, the prosperity gospel that's obvious to us as a corruption of Scripture, but it's these subtle lies that can corrupt a doctrine of even someone who's a believer and someone who's trying to follow Christ and trying to pursue Christ, that Satan is subtle and that he can find little ways to twist the things that we're doing to take us further from our Savior. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. And with that as a, as a framework, you know, we can think about what are some doctrines of demons that we should be aware of in our church. And the whole, one of the whole points of me doing the thing I did at the beginning was I was foreshadowing one of them. And, and I think one of the, Satan's best tricks for a, a Bible-believing church, a careful Bible-believing church like us, is to make us focus on exactly that. It's to make us focus on the what of our Christianity instead of the why. Right, to be focused on attending our fellowship and what we're learning in here for its own sake. The act of prayer for its own sake. The, the act of reading and memorizing scripture. And to be focused on all these things rather than the purpose that God intended all those things for. Of course, there's numerous scriptures that support that we should all be doing those spiritual disciplines. But we're not doing them as ends and of themselves. We're doing them to go grow closer to Christ and ultimately equip us to be out on mission. And so... I'll, refer to the to a book that c.s lewis wrote for this there's a brilliant book you guys are probably some of you are probably wondering how it took me so long to get to the screw tape letters when i'm preaching on this but it's the screw tape letters by c.s lewis and it's this book written from the perspective of a of a sort of a senior demon who's writing letters to his nephew and who's sort of a young tempter who's just been assigned his first patient it all sounds kind of silly but it's really brilliantly written and it, and it illustrates a lot of the really subtle tactics that Satan can use to derail Christians. And in this first letter, the head demon's name is Screwtape, and he's writing to his nephew Wormwood. He's addressing Wormwood. The patient had just come close to salvation, come close to repentance and accepting Christ. And, and, Worm, and Screwtape sees this as a great disaster, and he's telling, telling Wormwood what to do about it. And he says, "...it remains to consider how we can retrieve this disaster." 
The great thing is to prevent his doing anything. As long as he does not convert it into action, it doesn't matter how much he thinks about his new repentance. Let the little brute wallow in it. Let him, if he has any bent this way, write a book about it. That's often an excellent way of sterilizing the seeds which the enemy plants in a human soul. Let him do anything but act. No amount of piety in his imagination and affections will harm us if we can keep it out of his will to act. The more often he feels without acting, the less he will ever be able to act. And in the long run, the less he will ever be able to feel. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Again, we're equipped in here, but the war is out there. As James puts it perfectly, faith without works is dead. And I think another trick that Satan can use is sort of related, but in the opposite, like equally in the opposite direction. And that's not that a church, you know, learns everything and doesn't do anything in the world, but that a church's entire faith or a believer's entire faith becomes just about works in the world. Of course, again, there's lots of scripture out there that talks about caring for orphans and widows and and children and protecting foreigners in our land and all those things. And those things are are biblical causes to pursue. But the trick of the Satan is, a trick of Satan is when our faith becomes about those causes, and those causes aren't ways to serve our faith and to serve Christ, right? And again, Screwtape is instructive here. He's, th- this letter is written um, at the advent of World War II, and, and Screwtape is talking to Wormwood, his, his protege, about whether he should convince the, the patient, the, the, the budding Christian, to be either an, an ardent patriot or a pacifist. And it's like, according to, to Screwtape, either is, is just fine. So let's see what Screwtape has to say. Whichever he adopts, your main task will be the same. Let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as part of his religion. Then let him, under the influence of a partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part. Then quietly and gradually nurse him on to the stage with which the religion becomes merely a part of the cause, in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of either the British war effort or pacifism. The attitude which you want to guard against is that in which temporal affairs are treated primarily as material for obedience. We don't want that. Once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you have almost won your man, and it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing, provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, and crusades matter more to him than prayers and sacraments and charity. He is ours, and the more religious on those terms, the more securely ours. I could show you a pretty cageful down here. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. So you see in this example how biblical doctrine is twisted little by little until instead of pursuing those causes in order to serve Jesus, you, serving Jesus is just a part of those causes. Right? And I think we're all sort of tempted at times to go off track that way. So I could go on and on. Satan's deception is seemingly limitless. It's limited only by his creativity and our own personal circumstances. And things may seem pretty bleak at this point, right? I've painted this picture of even our efforts to pursue Christ in our Christianity can be twisted by Satan, and Satan is this powerful, cunning, deceptive, you know, enemy person, personality that's been out there since the beginning of time, and he has this army of demons, and we, we, can't, we can't pursue righteousness too far. It's legalism. We can't... It's not that complicated. It's, it's hard, but it's not that complicated. Right? It's, and to, keeping to our war theme, I'll, I'll quote Clausewitz. Clausewitz 
um, wrote on war. It's seminal texts in warfare, but he essentially says, in war, everything is simple, but the simplest things are the hardest. Right? And that's what we have here. It's simple, but it's hard. And the way that you can cut this Gordian knot is, and I'll refer to another war text to Sun Tzu, and, and Sun Tzu says, if you know yourself and you know your enemy, you have a thousand battles and a thousand victories. And I think we can use that here too. We know our enemy and know ourselves, a thousand battles, a thousand victories. And so I think if we know our enemy and know ourselves, we can sidestep these deceptions. That's what they teach you in, in counterintelligence as well. And so the first thing is to know your enemy. Well, we've essentially already done that this morning. Right? We know our enemy. We've been taught about our enemy since we were, we were children, if we've been in the church. The enemy is deceptive. The enemy is powerful. He twists even the things that you try to do well and the things you try to do in service of Christ if you let him. Right? But you don't have to let him, and, and, and that's what the, the second tool is about, and that's know yourself. And knowing yourself, I think there's two parts of that, too. I think you need to know, your, to know yourself. I think you need to know your doctrine, and I think that you need to know your heart. Okay? And we've talked a lot about knowing your doctrine, Knowing your doctrine is thinking about the behaviors that you're engaging in, thinking about the things that you do on an everyday basis or your habits that have a moral valence, right? And almost everything we do has a moral valence. But think about the things that, that have some significance in the world and ask yourself, what is, what is my core belief that's causing me to do this thing, right? And, and, and more importantly, what is the doctrine that's informing that belief to do that thing? And you, you have to really think carefully about it. You have to sit down and quiet on a Sabbath and, and think hard about it. What is the doctrine that's really making me do this? Because you can deceive yourself, right? And then you compare that doctrine to the truth of Scripture. And you compare that doctrine to the truth of Scripture like what we saw in chapter 3 last week. These, these simple, powerful statements of who Jesus Christ is, right? And if, or, or, or John 3.16, the gospel itself. Compare what you're doing and, and why you're doing it to that doctrine, and if you've added anything to it, or you've taken anything away from it, you're off track. Okay? So know your doctrine, and then know your heart. A lot of the things we talked about, I've made this point, a lot of things that we've talked about sort of look like a good Christian going about a good Christian life, like going and doing charity. That could potentially be your heart in the wrong place. Going to church and, and, and being really caught up and, and, and really pursuing all the, the trappings of faith. Those things are great, and that's what a Christian should look like on the outside, but it could also be that that Christian's off track when he's doing those things. And so how do you know? You examine your heart. And I love 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for this, and I'll read it. And, and Scripture there says, If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. I love that. And, and you see everything we talked about here in that scripture, speaking in tongues and knowing the mystery of, what is it, the, the mystery, all the mysteries of knowledge. I mean, that's talking about knowing scripture, talking about being delving into scripture, speaking in tongues. These are the trappings of faith, right? If you're doing that and your heart is not in the right place, you have nothing. And similarly, if I gave everything away to charity but, but have love, it's nothing. That's talking about these works in the world. If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm focused on these works in the world but my heart's not in the right place, 
I have nothing. So you have to examine your heart and see in the depths of your soul why you're doing these things. What is the doctrine driving it? And what is it in your heart that's driving these behaviors? And once you know your enemy and you know yourself, again, a thousand victories, or a thousand battles, a thousand victories. And I'll just, I mean, I'll just wrap up by going back to where I started. And that is, you know, we're in here to be equipped to go out into the battle. We've just, you know, we've, we've talked about the, the battle space of work. We talked about the battle space of, you know, staying on track and the battle space of parenthood and all these other other areas. And now we've talked about within that battle space and, and within that fight that we're going to be in out there, deception is going to be one of the enemy's main tools. But now we have ways to, to counter that deception. Right? And so I just pray that, that we, all, we all take advantage of those. We all go forward with that and, and employ those tools so that we can serve Christ better in this war that we're going to be fighting the minute we walk out the door here. And I, I pray that, that, that we all do that. And if we do, again, a thousand battles, a thousand victories, and, and I won't end on a quote from Sun Tzu. Um, I'll end on a quote from the Bible, but we can, we can end our lives like Paul and say, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I pray for that for all of us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, again, we thank you so much for this time together. We, we thank you for the word that equips us. We thank you for the word that sustains us, and we pray that these things change our hearts, and ultimately um, that these things change the way we go about our lives in the world and make us, again, better servants of you. So we just thank you so much. We invite the Holy Spirit to do that work in us, and we commit ourselves to serving you and to loving others in that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.